And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and he said, Blessed be ye poor, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. And is not the same thing true for us? Did you not have plans for your future that changed when you met the Lord Jesus Christ? Did you not have a hope for a job or successes or things that you had planned on that following Christ changed your direction? When you met Jesus, did everything change? It did, didn't it? Didn't your life's priorities and goals change when you met the Lord Jesus Christ? That's what he's talking about. You'll be blessed if you give up your current dreams and chasing the money you were chasing and follow the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be blessed. You left the old life behind, all for the promise of knowing him and being found in him. You turned your back on the world of your dreams. I think of George Jackson used to say, yeah, I gave up everything to follow Christ. I did too. And like George, I could say with him, he said, yeah, I gave up an old rusty Ford and God gave me a Cadillac. You know, what we gave up was nothing in comparison to what we gained in following the Lord Jesus Christ. And George was right about that. But like Paul, I think we can all say, wrong mouth, sorry. Um, Like Paul, I think we can all say what things were gained for me, those I counted lost for Christ. We can all sing that hymn, can't we? I've decided to follow Jesus, no turning back, no turning back of the world behind me. The cross before me, no turning back, no turning back. There's an element of following Jesus that produces in us as disciples cost. And we have to be willing to turn our back on our ambitions and our wishes and our desires and all the things we've wanted. And we have to be willing to walk away from them. And it's not pleasant. It's true that after we walked away, you back again? What, did they reject you? They're voting on a new teacher. There you go. It's true, though, that after we've walked with Jesus for a while, God gave us many of those things back. And sometimes he gave it back in a different way. Sometimes where we gave up some friends, he gave us other friends. Sometimes we gave up some families and we've gained back other families. We don't know. But it's true what George said. What we gave up is nothing in comparison to what we gained. But whatever we gain or lose in following Christ, there is no salvation in Christ without turning our back on the world. There is no salvation in Christ without turning our back on the world. Whatever the cost, even if the cost is complete poverty, we're better off with Christ. I don't suppose there's any particular joy in being poor myself. Anywhere in the world. But if our poverty leads us into a position where we recognize our own inability to save ourselves. When we recognize how truly bankrupt our world is without Christ. How truly worthless the things we chase in the name of success and power are in comparison to eternity with Christ. When we recognize, then we recognize that our poverty Turning our back on our hopes and aspirations has a purpose. And it brings to us the very one who himself is true riches. For we know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor. That through his poverty 
we might become rich. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. He took on our fallen nature. He took on our sin and provided us through faith the righteousness of God in him. Through his poverty, he made us rich. Now, Matthew's passage is a little different. I put that in red to remind me that I'm talking about a different book now. That's not for you. That was for me. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Now, in Luke, he said, blessed be ye poor. Matthew says, poor in spirit. Seems like a contradiction, but both, in my mind, are true. I don't think it's a mistake. I don't know how it ended up that way. I don't know why the Holy Spirit led Luke to write it one way and Matthew the other. You can uh, listen to other commentators talk about it. Uh, A.T. Robertson says it's useless to speculate why they're different, that we have never solved the problem about why they are different. One can only say, this is A.T. Robertson, one can only say that neither profess to give a complete report of the sermon. So it's A.T. Robertson's belief that both are recording on the same sermon. It is also his belief that neither one of these are saying, I wrote everything down. See, so it's not every, every word that Jesus spoke is not here. We don't know why it's different at the time. Matthew has an emphasis on poor in spirit, which is very true. Until we recognize our own poverty of spirit, we will not seek salvation. Luke emphasizes poverty in the sense of turning your back on the world. And that's true, too. We'll never know true salvation until we turn our back on our old life and call on Christ to save us. Both aspects of this message are true. We must turn our back on the world, on our dreams, on our plans, on our hopes, on our ambitions. I was addicted to geography myself. I, I never wanted to leave Kent Island again as long as I lived. And when I drove across that Chesapeake Bay bridge for the last time, turning my back on everything that I had planned for my life and heading out into the unknown. It was a very painful experience for me, and it took many, many years for me to get over my geographical depression. I wasn't where I wanted to be. But in addition to that, we must also, I must also, we must all also recognize our own spiritual poverty. And in the presence of Christ, there is no salvation apart from him. There's nothing I can do. Salvation is not Salvation is not found in self-effort. There's no amount of good I can do to undo my wrong. There's no amount of law-keeping that I can do to save myself. It's found in Christ alone. Song was perfect today. It's found in Christ alone. In Christ alone, my hope is found. There is, in fact, nothing we have to offer him in this life. That would cause us to merit our own salvation. There's nothing we can do to save ourselves. It's amazing to me how many religions and religious people say we have to do good in order to get to heaven. There isn't enough good in the world we could do to undo our sin. It isn't a question of keeping the Old Testament law. It isn't a question of ignoring the Old Testament law and just doing our best. It's a question of coming to Christ. He is the only way. All our efforts, all our good works, Paul was a seminary, well, I guess a graduate school trained theologian. He was a leader of the Pharisees. He was being trained by one of the best theologians of their day. 
And he writes, Yea, doubtless I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. I've turned my back on all that I had worked my whole life to create. A theological position, a religious leader, some speculated he could have been the next high priest, a leader in Jerusalem. And I do count them but dung that I may win or gain Christ. Now you know what dung is, right? I don't need to tell you, right? You know what dung is. Everything I'd ever done is is like waste compared to knowing the Lord Jesus Christ and to be found in him not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law. There's no amount of doing good or following the law that will give me a righteousness that will be acceptable before God. And to be found in him, not my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, the King James reads. That is the righteousness that God provides us when we trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said, do you want to be truly happy? Abandon your worldly ambitions. We must quit the endless treadmill of chasing our own dreams. We must seek God's will for our lives. It's the only place we will find true joy. And we must set our minds to serve him. It's the only successful use of the life God gave us. Now back to Luke. Even if that path that we follow, when we seek, turn our back on the world, when we seek to follow Christ, even if that path we follow results in suffering, Blessed are ye that hunger now, for ye shall be filled. I, I, I'm thinking of that show, The Chosen, as they wander from town to town, camping outside of town, and sometimes going without food. He's speaking to his disciples. You'll be truly happy if you're willing to suffer now for the kingdom, because there will come a time when you are filled We must be willing to suffer loss of all our worldly things, even willing to go without the creature comforts that we've become accustomed to. And every true follower of Christ has suffered, gone without, endured hardship in order to spread the gospel. These disciples, now that he is speaking to, now following Jesus, have given up homes, They've given up families. They've given up regular businesses and regular dinners at home. They've given up breakfast. They've given up friends. They've given up their entire country, really, as they followed Christ, because actually, in the end, they became enemies of the state and were persecuted and driven out of their own homeland. They were willing to do that in order to follow Christ. Blessed are ye that hunger now, for you will be filled. Now, the opposite of that is fill yourself and be fat now and be hungry forever in the future. This is the true cost of discipleship. Paul tells Timothy, No man that warreth entangleth himself in the affairs of this life, that he may please him who has chosen him to be a soldier. We have to make up our minds that we are going to follow Christ regardless, regardless of the cost. There are four Beatitudes. 
The word blessed there, by the way, just means happy or supremely happy or filled with joy. I'm going back to look for that Hebrew word, I mean that Greek word. Supremely blessed or happy, two best definitions of it. Blessed are ye that weep now. Again, speaking to his disciples, for the time will come when you will laugh. When asked by the Pharisees why his disciples didn't fast, Jesus said the time for fasting was not yet. That while I'm here, there's no reason for them to be sorrowful and fast and seek in prayer. But there will come a time, he said. To the disciples, he's saying here, blessed are ye that weep now. The job as a disciple before you right now is grim. We live in a world at war with God. A world filled with the followers of Satan. Followers who hate God. And we have to give them a message that they don't want to hear. You know, we have to look at people who think they're doing all right in the world and tell them that they are sinners. But more than that, we have to explain to them that that sin has permanently and forever separated them from God and there is no bridge that they can cross to get to God except the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is their only hope and they don't want to hear that. And we know many, many of our friends, our families, our mothers, our brothers, our sisters will reject that message. And without Christ there is no hope of salvation. There is no other way. You know, the world likes to think there are many paths to God. It is not true. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the light. No man comes to the Father but through me. Every religion in the world has the same basic message. Clean up your life, live a good life, and you will make it into heaven. It doesn't matter whether you're talking doesn't matter who you're talking to. If it's not a born-again Christian, every religion is the same. Oh, I do the best I can. My uncle said to me, oh, I've lived a good life. A good life. There is none good, Uncle Paul. No, not one. It's a lie to say, clean up your life, live a good life, and you'll make it to heaven. It's a lie. And the fact is that flesh, fallen man, loves to have something to do, something to do to make us feel good about ourselves. Well, why am I going to heaven? I'm going to heaven because I've taught Sunday school for 40 years, because I've gone to church my whole life, because I've preached 5,500 sermons. None of those things will get you into heaven. There will be hundreds of thousands of people who have attended church in hell because they've never recognized the poverty of their own souls and their need for a Savior who came to seek and to save that which was lost. Our message is the opposite of what all the religions of the world teach. Our message says there is none good, no, not one, Romans 3.10. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death, that is eternal death. And our only hope, our only hope is the gift of God, which is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now many don't want to hear that message. For us it is a message of hope. 
It makes us understand and makes us feel good to know that in Christ we have a hope of meeting God and living for eternity in heaven. But to them it is a message of doom because they refuse to come to Christ and accept what he's done for them. And that message is often not well received. Hence Jesus said, blessed are ye that weep now. This is not a happy time for the church. It's not a happy time in America. It's not a happy time in the Ukraine. It's not a happy time anywhere in the world because people are rejecting Jesus Christ and they're dying and going into a Christless eternity. Got to get my mouse back here. Blessed are you when men shall hate you and when they shall separate you from their company. It's interesting when you think about the fact that these disciples were soon driven out of their homes and no longer welcome in their own countries, persecuted many to death. Uh, Blessed are you when men shall hate you and when they shall separate you from their company and shall reproach you and cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. I think I have another verse after that. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. I don't know. I almost think that's hyperbole. I don't know, you know. You know, they beat you and they throw you out of the uh, synagogue and we're supposed to leap for joy, you know. I might run for my life, but not leaping for, I might, I don't know. Peter was able to laugh and sing after being beaten and then put in chains in prison. I don't hold that kind of faith for myself. But Jesus said rejoice in that day and leap for joy. Do people hate you at work? Are people angry with you for sharing the gospel? Are they unhappy with your Christian stance? Do they pick on you or make fun of you? Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven. For in like manner did their fathers unto the prophets. Jesus came preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. But that kingdom is upside down. For them, evil is good and good is evil, and there's no amount of talking that's going to convince them otherwise. They believe evil is good and good is evil. They live and they love their lies, and there's no changing that, and they despise the truth. And when you tell them the truth, they're going to despise you. We cannot expect to be loved and respected by the enemies of truth. It's as simple as that. We cannot expect to be received with joy by them. Now, in conclusion, Jesus gives them four warnings. Now, this sermon, of course, you know, goes on for for many pages in Matthew, three pages in Matthew, but the rest of this chapter in Luke. Whether or not I go into that further, I don't know yet. But Jesus wraps this message up to us, to his disciples, with four warnings. Woe unto you that are rich, for ye have received your consolation. You know, I've always seen this as kind of a rebuke of rich people in the crowd. But as I went through it this time, I'm thinking in my mind, this is a message to me. Woe unto you that are rich for ye have received your consolation. If I grasp everything that the world has to offer for me now, I will miss it in the next life. I either grab it and hold on to it now, or I receive it in heaven, one or the other. Woe unto you that are rich. Woe unto you. Woe unto you that are full, for ye shall hunger. If I fill up myself on all that the world can offer me now, I will hunger forever. Woe unto you that laugh now, 
for ye shall mourn and weep. If mine own happiness is the whole purpose for which I live, if I spend all my time making myself happy, if that's all that matters to me now, I will sorrow for eternity. Woe unto you when all men shall speak well of you, for so did they, so did their fathers to the false prophets. I must stop seeking the world's approval. We must stop seeking the world's approval. We cannot expect to be accepted and loved by everyone. I must stop worrying about what others think about me, about my message. My only concern is have I shared the truth with them. Everything else is up to God. I must set my purpose in this life to please God and God alone. In Christ alone, our hope is found. For all that is in the world, John writes in 1 John 2.16, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, and the word lust, you know, means desires, the things we desire, the desires of the flesh and the desires of our eyes, the things we see we want, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but it is of the world. And we know the world is passing away, and the desires thereof. All those worldly desires, all those things that people spend their whole lives working for, gone in a flash. Either when they die, they go from being rich and wealthy to nothing in eternity in hell. And we know that the world is passing away in the lust thereof, but he that does the will of God abides forever. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for this day. Thank you for this opportunity to look into your scriptures. My prayer is that that which is of you will stick, and that which is of me will vanish in their memories. Father, should there be anyone here or within the sound of my voice today that has never understood the clarity of the necessity of following Christ completely, of turning their back on the world and receiving Christ as their only hope, I pray that this would be the day that they bow their heads and they say, Lord, forgive me for I have sinned. I have failed you completely. But Lord, I pray you would forgive me and that you would come into my heart and save me from my sins and that I could exchange my sinful life with your righteousness as you have planned from eternity past. Father, I know that if they pray that, you will save them eternally in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.